So uh, last Friday night, we did something that we haven't done before. We did a harvest party. And I know, uh, you know, with things going on, we just weren't, weren't prepared or, or expecting what the results would be. So uh, I've asked Katie to come up and just share uh, what the harvest party was all about. Katie, who is also our MOPS uh, director, and um, Cynthia and Nellum were all instrumental in putting this together. I didn't, I didn't know anything, basically anything about, people were asking me questions and I said, I don't know, you're gonna have to ask them. And so that was really cool for them to, to lead this. So Katie, would you share? Um, on behalf of uh, Cynthia and Nellum, I just wanted to express um, our gratitude for this church body and um, for your support financially and physically. Um, financially, we were, well, we didn't know what to expect as we were planning this, but we just pushed through in faith that God was going to provide and bring people and that we would have a fun, fun event. Um, and we were fully funded above and beyond our needs just from this church body for everything for the night from the um, taco stand, free tacos for everyone that came to Kona Ice. The Kona Ice truck was totally free for all the kids and um, just all the fun games and pumpkin carving contests and everything was paid for by you guys, which was just so grateful that God is providing and using you. And then uh, physically, we had so many volunteers um, to help pull this off from setting up and tearing down and running all the, the booths. And it was just such a spectacular night that um, when I got home, I just couldn't stop smiling. And a lot of people kept saying that through the night is that there were so many smiles and people were so happy and could really feel the love of Jesus. And we touched this community. And that was so cool that we started this thing. And it's definitely going to have to become an annual event because it was just such a huge outreach um, that we got to be the hands and feet of Jesus and all to God's glory that he, all the community here got to experience something, especially in with this year being so crazy. So it was so wonderful. We're already excited for next year. So I just wanted to pray also and um, thank God for, for Friday night. So join me in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you so much for um, providing and meeting our needs. God, I thank you for this church body and using them and um, just allowing us to experience such a wonderful event. God, I pray that you continue to use us to um, reach this community all for your glory. And so we we just thank you again. We thank you for loving us and just pouring that love and giving us the, um, the abilities to share that love. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. There's a couple pictures. Uh, you know, they, they, we had 100 uh, pumpkins, little pumpkins to give away to all the kids. And we gave 95 pumpkins away. Let's just say that, yes, uh, I just say that um, we, you know, some of we were talking about the numbers, there may have been 150, I think it was more like 200 uh, and above of, of people that showed up on Friday night and right out here in a parking lot. And it was so, such a blast. And uh, it, was, uh, it was just a, a good, uh, Oh, positive vibe, if I want to put it that way, uh, with our community. And um, I got to pray with people, and um, look at people asked about our church, and so uh, that was a real blessing as well. And we're glad that you're here. Some of you are here because of that, and, and we're grateful for that. And we pray that you just keep coming back, because I want to tell you, is our kind of our model around here is that we want to love God, and we want to love people like God loves us. And if you'll let us, it might be scary, but, <laughs> but if you'll let us, we will try to love you as best as uh, in God working through us. And so uh, this week is going to be an interesting week, isn't it? The elections, you know, we don't, we don't know what, what the week's going to unfold. Uh, we, we're certainly praying um, and have been praying for our country. And, um, you know, I don't think that Tuesday's gonna, the dust is gonna settle. To, uh, uh, that's just my, my thoughts. I think that we're gonna go through something as a country, and we've been going through something as a country, and we just don't know what that next chapter is gonna look like. And so we've been praying every Sunday morning in preparing our, our hearts 
and, uh, and asking God to bless, truly bless America, and that America will be in a position to receive God's blessing. We pray for those that are in leadership, and we pray that we have godly leadership to lead us uh, according to biblical principles. Father God, we come to you at this time with full confidence that you're aware of what's going on. You already know what's going to happen Wednesday, next week, next month. And you're not caught by surprise. You, are, you don't live in the unknown. And Father, we come to this week and we're uncertain what our experience, what the situation, circumstances will be like. But we know that God, you are sovereign. That your throne is the highest throne. And your love for us and your love for the world will continue to shine through no matter what. And Father, help us as followers of Jesus, of believers of your word, that we stand upon your promises, that we will have the right response and keep trusting you no matter what because our trust, our faith is not in some man or some woman or in government. God, our, our trust is in you. And we live and we stand and we even die on the promises that you have given us as followers of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we can be lifted up. We can be encouraged. We can go through this week with confidence that your will will be done, no matter what. And that, God, you're working in us and through us as we trust you and lean upon you. Not our own understanding, but, God, who you are and what you mean and what you can do. We give you the praise and glory for how already by faith you are going to work and you're going to do powerful and wonderful things because that is who you are. In Jesus' name. And all the people say it. Amen. All right. We'll be praying for one another and, and continue and be a source of encouragement as we, as we go through whatever that might look like. I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. And uh, as the worship team comes, oh, you're already here. <laughs> Guys are good. We have we're calling the stealth team now. Oh my goodness. What's that? It's the J team. Oh the J team. We're calling the J team. This is Joe, Jane, and Jim. All right. And Joy's coming up. And Joy. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so the J team. All right, and I'm Pastor Jane. <laughs> so we got it. <laughs> Let's sing to God. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray, unveil while we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfires in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Kingdom first, we hunger and we thirst 
a prayer, isn't it? Huh? Amen.
We know, we recognize that this earth is filled with your glory, and it is your your creation, and we are your creation. Father God, we thank you that your son, Jesus, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, lived and died and rose from the grave, that we would have eternal life. And we thank you that because of that, this earth is filled with your glory. Father God, we we again are kind of facing a a, a scary week, a a different kind of a week, and it's going to be a, a challenge but we know that you are in command, you are in control, and that uh, we have, as, as our pastor prayed, nothing to fear, but to look for you to do great and mighty and wonderful things. And so we are looking forward to that, Lord. We know this morning, Lord, that you've called us to holiness, and uh, that's a tough call, Lord. Um, we're, we are imperfect. Uh, we live very imperfect lives. And yet you've, uh, you've provided a way for us to be pure and perfect in front of you because of the redemption of Jesus. And we stand um, white as snow. We stand faultless before your throne because of what Jesus did for us. So, Lord, uh, this morning as Gary, our pastor, preaches and teaches us from the book of Peter, 1 Peter, oh Lord, I pray that the words that he speaks, the things that he's learned today, this week, and what he's prepared just for us, that it'll change us. It'll make us into who you want us to be. And uh, we look forward to uh, your Holy Spirit working throughout this room and touching hearts and lives and changing us into your image. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and J-Team, yeah. Well, if you have your Bibles uh, this morning, would you turn to the book of 1 Peter? If you're looking at the Bible in front of you, you can go to the right, and almost to the end of the book is you'll find 1 Peter. There should be some sermon notes. If you'd like to use the sermon notes, you're welcome to use those and follow along with the message as well. So we started 1 Peter. I think this is about our third Sunday in First Peter, and uh, now I tell you, I, uh, we won't be able to get through all the verses uh, that talk about holiness, but we'll get uh, a good dent in the verses that are found in First Peter. So Peter, uh, uh, that's talking about holiness, Peter is giving instructions as we go through this book about how to behave as a believer during difficult times. Now, last Sunday, we talked about how you could uh, smile uh, when things aren't going right, when you, in fact, in in times of suffering, that uh, you can still smile. And he gives us some things that that present us a very hopeful outlook for us as believers. And uh, and so when you you think about those things as we go through this week and we go through the next week. Now, next Sunday, Lord willing, I'm going to... Uh, skip ahead um, First Peter and cover an area where it talks about respecting those in authority. It talks about kings and God setting kings up and, and taking kings down. And so we're going to cover that next Sunday. Whatever happens, we're still going to go through that. And there's some biblical principles how we are to relate to those that are our authorities in the land. Well, Peter covers that. And it's interesting as Peter is going and talking to believers that are suffering because of some rules and because of some, some authorities um, uh, that they're, they're um, having to uh, suffer because of those rules. So let's read 1 Peter and chapter 1, verse 13. Let's read three verses down to verse 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a powerful text. And uh, the subject of holiness is uh, a subject that is uh, really broad in the, in the Bible. And it, uh, it requires to fully to understand holy as to, to take more Sundays. We won't do that, but I just understand this is a big subject. And so we want to ask God to, to continue to help us to understand what he wants us to know about being holy. So Peter says we're to live holy even when life is difficult, when we are suffering, even when we're innocent, and we are experiencing even injustice in our life. We are to still be holy. Our, our context and how we experience life may change, but as a follower of Jesus, our text is to always remain the same. We are to be holy as followers of Jesus Christ. And so the subject of being holy begs the question, how do you do holiness? To be holy, do we need to live in isolation? Should we move to remote areas like Somos? <laughs> or should we withdraw from culture totally? Or do we live in the mountains? Are we to live in a monastery to be holy? Is living in isolation the answer to being holy? To be holy, should we build a spiritual moat around our church? or build massive, invisible walls to keep ourselves holy. Is that what God's telling us to do? When you think about Jesus and the way he lived, it didn't seem like he was very isolated, though there were times that he would go and pray. Sometimes it was for overnight that he, he would just spend his time just between him and, and the Father and praying. But Jesus didn't live like that. He wasn't isolated from the community from culture. We think that holy people live in faraway monasteries, separate themselves from any kind of fun and, you know, frivolity, or that they trade in their luxury cars and comfortable homes and well-paying jobs for Peace Corps stint in a developing country, that that is maybe the definition of some people's hol uh, defined holiness. And we say, well... I'm not going to move to a foreign country. I'm not going to move in a developing country and do a Peace Corps stint. I'm not knocking Peace Corps. I think it's a great thing. But that's not what holiness is. We don't have to move. We can be holy right where we're at, in our neighborhood, in our community, in where you work at. You can live a holy life. What does it mean to be holy? Now, God tells us, he tells us that we are to be holy as he is holy. That's a tall order. How do you do that? And when we look at the Bible and God tells us to be something or to do something, he always, always gives us the ability and the know-how to accomplish what he has asked. So if God is saying, I want you to be holy, and you can be holy as he is holy, for he is holy, he is saying that... I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to give you the means to do what I ask you to do. God will never tell you to do something or be something that you can't do. That's just God. That's a principle that we need to grab onto, and that's just one of those basic things that we need to understand about God and his word. God asks us to do something. He will provide the way for you to do that. Always. You say, well, I can't. Well, don't look at yourself and what you have. Look what God can do in you and through you is the key to that. So Peter speaks to suffering Christians, and he quotes a verse out of Leviticus in the Old Testament, be holy like God is. How can we be holy? 
Well, let's go to verse 13, and let's see three things found in this verse that tells us about being what? Being holy means. All right, first, therefore, preparing your minds for action is the first thing. You say, well, well there's this preparation of your mind. And, and in the context of this, right before he tells us to be holy, he's talking about ignorance. He's talking about thinking. And so there's the thought is important here for our uh, living to be uh, holy like God is holy. So first of all, your minds are prepared. Now, in the K- KJV, there is a phrase that is very good to explain. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. And what this means is that during Peter's time, men wore, long, uh, wore these long flowing robes. And when they were preparing to do something like physical labor, a task, or even to run, if they had to run a, a racer or they were needed to run, they would take their robes and they, and they grabbed them and they would tuck them into their belt there. And it allowed them to perform the work without hindrance and to be able to go on, the freedom of movement. So this idea is it's kind of like what we say, well, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. And what does that mean? We're getting ready to go to work. We're preparing what the task. We're getting ready. And so Peter starts this off with talking about being holy. He says that you need to have this mind that is prepared. There's a work ahead. It's something that when we are going to stand out in the crowd because we're holy, we're going to be different from the culture. There's going to be... Uh, a response. It's going to require effort, and it's going to require hard work. There's something that we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and get right into something. So there's a preparation of our mind. Behavioral scientists have discovered that human behavior is determined to a great extent by the subconscious mind. What we think. We do. It's kind of like the phrase, and maybe you've heard this, uh, garbage in and garbage out. It's important that that this in preparation, talking about being holy, that we have minds that are thinking holy. Proverbs chapter 23 says in verse 7, for as he thinks within him, so is he. So there's this thinking process. If you're going to be holy, you want to have that holy action, you have to start thinking, prepare your mind to be and think holy. Also, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. There's this shift in our mind. There is this, this thinking, the plain God's word is thinking upon our mind, and so that we start thinking holy. Being holy means preparing my mind to think holy. And so we ask ourselves, do we have holy thoughts? To be holy as God is holy, to think like our Heavenly Father? Now that's a very important question. And I'll say, you know, as I stand here, this is very convicting to me as it is to anyone in this room. That's Joe, I appreciate the humble prayer they prayed. None of us have, have reached a place where we can say that, God, I've got this holiness thing together. We don't. But we're in this sanctification process, thinking and training and uh, my mind to think on the things that are holy. And because of that, my behavior, my actions are changing because of where my mind is. And so the first thing is is being holy, is preparing our mind. And then he goes on, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Now, what does this mean? Being being holy means your mind is sober. And that has the ideal to be calm, steadily, and controlled thinking. The ability to see life really as it is. Peter goes on to... 
in the last chapter in First Peter, it says, talking about the, in the, the relationship of the devil to the believer, he said, be sober. The devil is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, the, the, there, if there's a lion out there, there is a seriousness involved. You're paying attention. You know, you're, you're awake. The reality that there's a lion there, and I'm going to be very much aware of what is going on. And we get this kind of wisdom from God by simply asking God for it. We let his word live in our minds, and we see God. We see as God sees. This is so important. Think when we think about things that are happening in our culture, in our community, in our world today, we're asking God to have a sober mind. God, really, how do we see things? How do you see things? And we want to have the mind of God with this. So being holy means that our mind is sober. And then being holy means your mind is optimistic. Look on what Peter says in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope. Set your hope. Fix your eyes on hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have a hope to the end. And when we see Jesus Christ, our hope will be justified. This produces thinking that no matter how bad it gets, there's always hope. And we've said this before. Peter drives this nail home. He says that there is always hope for believers. And this hope is fully on grace given by God. And that grace is that unmerited favor. God's riches at Christ's expense. And so we have this optimistic mind that, God, you're bigger than this. God, no matter what happens this week, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens with the doctor's diagnosis, I mean, God, there is still hope. I can still look up, and I know that the final chapter being written is good. And when I see the revelation of Jesus Christ, when I see that it's going to be fully revealed and based upon your grace toward us. So again, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Again, that thinking. And so, but, but it goes on to say, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And simply put, this phrase means we inherit the nature of our parents as obedient children, as children of God. Our God is our heavenly father, and we are his children. And we will act like our father because he is holy, and his holy nature is imparted into us. We're born into the family of God, this holy family of God, and we will act like our parents. I can't help but smile when I think of that commercial that's coming out, you know, and, and, and it's all about not acting like your parents. Have you seen that? You know, it just said, oh, no, no, don't act like your parents. So there's one, you know, a bunch of pillows on the, and he throws the pillows. Don't be like your mother, you know, with all those pillows. But here, the scripture tells us that we can be holy because we have holy, a holy father. Jesus Christ was holy, and the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and I'm going to read you from the message. It says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then ex exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense mercy with an incredible love he embraces. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. <laughs> That's what God did. He says, "On now, God has with has us where He wants us. 
with all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his ideal and his work. All we do is trust in him enough to let him do it. It's It's God's gift, this grace, from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. God says your salvation is from start to finish, that he is the major, he is the one that's doing that, and it's by his grace because of the holy nature, which brings us number the next one and the fourth one. Being holy means born again with the holy nature. Yes, my friend, we are born with an unholy nature that sins. The cutest child. Now, next week, I'm going to have one of the most cutest granddaughters on planet Earth being with us, and Lord willing, they'll be with us next Sunday. Her name is Scout, and she is such a doll baby, but she is still has the unholy nature that, that's a sinful nature, just like her great, just like her grandfather, and I'll say her great-grandfather as well. We're all born with this, which means we're born in a sinful condition that is impossible to be holy as God is holy. God calls us to his holy family by being spiritually born again. Our Holy Father gives us a new birth by the Holy Scriptures and placing us the Holy Spirit and is preparing us a place in the holy city. We are destined for holiness, my friend. We are. This is something that is very tangible that God can take us wherever we're at, and it will let him, and he will cause us to live and be holy. It's not an impossible thing to be a holy person. We can do holiness. We've been born into holiness. We have the nature of God, and his nature is holy and holy and holy. We can a story about a man who went to the YMCA to pick up his son from swimming. While he waited on his son to change clothes, he wandered towards the deep of the pool to watch a young boy practice in dives off the diving board. The kid was 12 or 13 years old. Obvious to the other swimmers around him, he, uh, obvious to the other swimmers around him, he shot off the board with his body folded into a flat V his feet lifting up to meet his outstretched hands. He opened again at the top of the dive, his head coming backwards, his arms opening up, and away to, to break the surface of the water, his body knifing straight in with a small splash. The observer figured he had taken lesson. The boy executed three more dives as fine as the first, and each performed with confidence and without hesitation or doubt. As the boy climbed out after the fourth dive, his father came out of the locker room. The boy grabbed the, the man's hand and towed him towards the board. And talking excitedly, the boy said, I can do it, Dad. That dive we saw on the Olympics replay, I can do that. No, you can't, the dad said. He let go of the kid's hand. You can't do that, can you? man observing saw the slight drop of the kid's shoulders, the short step that made him lose his balance, and the sudden change around his eyes as tensely and confidence faltered for the first time. He climbed the board and walked to the middle, looked at his dad as if waiting or hoping for something, but the man did nothing. Right from the start, the dive was different. The strides were shorter, less sure of themselves, and they missed the previous spot by at least a foot. The kid did not get the same leverage as before, and without the springboard's power, he could not gain the needed height. He was forced to bend his knees in a V, but even then, he had no time to open up again, and he crashed clumsily into the water. The boy climbed out, his father's feet. The dad said, I knew you couldn't do that dive yet, but if you work at it, you might get it someday. 
patted the boy's shoulder. You want to try again? The boy shook his head, walked away to the locker room while his dad stayed outside. You see, we were born with a with an unholy nature. Our father was, was the devil. Our father was, a, was, the, was the, the voice that said, you can't do this. You've tried, you've failed, you're not good enough. You can't be like God, you can't be holy. You can't live this holy life. And some of you may have came in this morning and you had these voices in your head. What are you doing in, in church? You aren't like these people. Those are voices that will cause us to want to stop, to give up. And listen, at the same time that those voices in your head and your culture are speaking out, you can't be holy, you can't live like that. That's totally radical. There is a voice that is stronger than this, and is more powerful than this. There is a God in heaven. There is our heavenly Father says, yes, you can live holy. You have been born with the holy nature, and it is by my power, my strength, that you can do all things through Jesus Christ. We can do holiness. You can get over that sin. You can be more like God than you were yesterday, than the week before. You can do this. As he tells us, we can. We can be holy, just as our Father who in heaven is holy. So being holy means you have a holy nature. The holy nature is starting to live out and becoming more and more like our Father. Being holy means you fear God. Verse 17, Peter goes on to say, if you call on him as your father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In other words, as we go through life, our actions will be judged based upon whether we were living and acting in a way that is a holy manner. We will give an account, and the fear is not about what people can do to us. It is a respect towards God that he would judge our actions. Did we live a holy life? Our actions or our thoughts, those that would match our Heavenly Father, holy living, just like Jesus lived here upon the earth. And Peter says in verse 18, says, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but he says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It's not in you, not in me. It is in God. And being holy comes to a place where we are grateful for the cost of our salvation, what Jesus has done for us. The price that he paid for our deliverance. Love is the key to being holy like God. When you understand the price that he paid, when we look up to that cross and look at the suffering that he did for you and I, we are convinced how much he loves us. We are grateful in what God has done for us. And when we have a love for that person, we'll do anything to help that relationship with that person. One of my other grandkids Little Sparrow likes to have tea with her papa. And this is not, you know, any tea. It's a tea that we sit down and we FaceTime each other, and she likes to have and drink her tea with a spoon. So guess how papa drinks his tea? I get a spoon out. How ridiculous is that? But you know I will do some ridiculous things because I know that it pleases her. 
And I have a love for my granddaughter and my grandkids and my kids. That I will do things for them that normally I won't do. But because of that relationship, and I want to please them, I want to be there for them, I would do that out of love. I heard a great illustration by by Jim in one of our small groups the other day that just has stuck with me. He said his workers will work hard and do what he asks when he's around them. He manages some, some workers. And they will do that, and they will work hard while he's there and out of fear and loss of job and all that. And, and, but when he leaves, it is the worker that loves him who will continue to work hard even when he isn't around. And the reason is because love is the difference. And this is true with God. A love for God makes the difference in being holy. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. And no fault to my parents or my grandparents, but somewhere along the way, I learned the belief that your presentation as a Christian was the most important thing. It was a sign that you were holy, how you looked towards others. I had to make sure that the presentation as a Christian was was dialed in for the world to see and for others in the church to come. That a good Christian presentation was the goal. And if you you look like a Christian and you act, that was the goal. Somewhere I got that thinking in my head. You know, I, I grew up in a church, very conservative suit and tie almost every Sunday. Your clothes presented the right presentation if you're a good Christian. If you look like a good Christian on the outside, you must be good on the inside. You had to have a Christian. Well, I used to have hair. I'll just tell you. You had to have a Christian haircut. You had to be carrying a Bible, but just couldn't be any Bible. It had to be the right kind of version Bible. And, and, and boy, and if you were really spiritual, you had a Schofield Bible. Some of you remember the Schofield Bible. You had, if you had a Schofield Bible and you had that black Bible and it was a right kind of version of the, of the Bible, man, and that was just something, that was a sign that you were, yeah, you were looking good. And on your coffee table at home, you had to have a family Bible. And as you know, this is a family Bible that almost took the whole length of the coffee table. The house could blow away, but that Bible would keep the coffee table standing right there. It was huge. You had to listen to the right kind of music, but if music that was that was connected to what how any any semblance to what the world's music was, you weren't holy. Every time the church doors are open, you had to be there, even if you were sick. If you had to be in a hospital bed, you were just meant to be there. A sign that you were holy. And your friends, our friends had to, your friends had to agree totally with the same rules, or they couldn't be your friends. Your neighbors, you, you must, they must look like you and talk like you and walk like you and even smell like you, and, or they were not your friends. You weren't allowed to have them in your life. At least what I thought. In other words, non-believers were looked upon as people like, like when Jesus would talk about it in the Pharisees, you know, the leprosy, the sinners. Oh, you're eating with that, talking to that Samaritan woman? It's unclean. Stay away from them. They'll corrupt you. Well, this is kind of what my thinking was when I was beginning. But later on in my teen life, God was pursuing me with a real relationship with him, and, and it was a relationship that, was, that had to do with a platform of not based upon presentation, but based upon pure love for him. There were three people in my life that helped me during this time, changed my thinking, and caused me to, 
to become holy and live holy for God, not only just look on the appearance, but on the inside, which it starts on the inside and it works to the outside. I had it backwards. I was starting on the outside and trying to convert my heart on the, from the outside to the end. There are three people that God used me to, to change in a great transition in my life. The first one was my wife, who I started to date her in high school. She loved God, and I, I, I wanted to be her, her boyfriend. And we started dating, and it changed my life. And my good friend, John Walters, who is now a pastor in the East Coast, and, and, and I, I loved him and appreciated his influence. His love for God was so real, and, and I respected him, and God used his life to impart me. And then one of my parents, especially my dad, in a moment, my, and my dad, we, were, we had a Christian school, and in this Christian school, my dad, again, was the pastor of the church. And I just went through, I was going through this rebellious stage. I didn't want to be in a Christian school. I didn't like being there. My friends didn't go to Christian school. I wanted to play football, and uh, they didn't have a football program. And I was just, I just did not want to be there, and I caused all kinds of trouble. And one day, the, the principal came to me and said, said, I know your dad's a pastor, but if you act up one more time, Gary, I'm going to expel you. Then a, a, few, a few days later, my dad called me into the garage, and we sat down, and I remember him saying it, and he said these words. He said, son, you're hurting my ministry. He had tears in his eyes when he said that. Because of my love for my dad and love for these other people that God started to soften my heart and give me a love for God that was very real and genuine, that I wanted to live holy. I wanted to please God. I wasn't trying to please myself or trying to make so. I wanted to please God. And it's love that stirred in my heart that caused me to want to live a holy life. Well, as they say, the rest is history, and here I, here I stand. You didn't know I was such a rebellious kid, did you? That's a progress. And I don't know where you're at with this. And here's the thing. The more that you fall in love with God, the more you become like the Father. You want to change. You want to live. Pleasing to God and to be just like Him. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Our love for God determines our desire to be holy. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, you are truly holy, holy, holy. And it's your holiness that keeps us in love with you, who you are and what you mean to us. We're so grateful and thankful that you are a holy God. You can be trusted because you are holy. Father, would you pull back the scales of our eyes that we may see more of your goodness, perhaps with a fresh vision. Let us see you high and lifted up, sitting on your holy throne with the holy angels praising you, giving you honor and glory both night and day. May, I, may our vision of your glory be increased. May your love for you be real and growing as we learn more about who you are and what you have done for us. May we see the sacrificial love that you have for us. Father, if there's anyone who does not know you personally right now, maybe this is the moment 
where conviction and guilt intersect. And at this crossroad, that they would open their lives and receive your grace and mercy that is found through Jesus Christ. And Father, may we live to be more like you, to be holy as you are holy. And we're grateful for your holy work in us. God, may the world see our love for you and our love and your love for us and not just our presentation. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. I invite the worship team to come at this time to close us out with a, a song. And if we can be a help to you in any way, please let us know. Please don't leave the service today with unresolved conflict between you and the Lord or burdens on your heart. We'd love to pray with you. We're here available. You can either also use those connection cards, and we'd be glad to meet with you uh, later on throughout the week. Let's stand as we sing this closing worship song. God.